We're looking at Acts. This morning is, I don't know, I've been processing a lot of what I'm going to be saying for months. Right? This is a result of quite a long journey that God's been whispering, occasionally shouting uh, at me for quite some time about this. So I've, I've, already, I've already been there and done it and got the t-shirt and all the rest of it. So forgive me if I kind of make jumps that you, I might leave you behind. Forgive me too if what I might say might kind of pick a scab. Um, I've been dealing with grief and loss over the last six months or so, um, and I'm kind of okay with that, I think, although I'll probably burst into tears at some point during this morning because I forget. And if, if that does something for you, I'm sorry as well, but hopefully what we say and what we learn together will help all of us deal a little bit with that as well. So we're looking at Acts. Um, the, as I mentioned last week and as I've just said, my mum died last May. My dad died four years before that. So since I came to Carlisle, I've lost two cats and two parents. So you could say that, you know, I suppose life is, is how you look at it. Um, so that's, that's kind of the kind of thing. Um, so I've been thinking a lot recently about legacy. Last week we looked a little bit about what we can't take with us. All the stuff we accumulate over a lifetime and how basically it all ends up in charity shops or landfill. Um, or one or two little mementos left behind. And I wanted to talk today a little bit about what you do leave behind, a little bit about legacy. Now, I don't know if it's just me and my age, but at 55, every now and again, you suddenly have a crushing moment of enlightenment, and you suddenly realise that you're probably not going to ever play football for Scotland. (laughs) Although at the minute, I might actually have, have half a chance. You know, um, or I'm not going to win Wimbledon. I'm not going to have my work exhibited in the Louvre. I'm not going to be somebody hugely important and all the rest of it. And all of a sudden you just kind of think, oh, you know, you lose count of the ships that have passed. And maybe that's an age thing. When you're young, when you're sort of 18, 19, 20 and your whole life's ahead of you, you think, I can do anything. Please don't stop thinking that because you can. You know, go for it. Go for it while you still have the, the motor functions to do it properly. <laughs> <clears throat> the stamina and the bowel control and all the rest of it. <clears throat> Enjoy that while it lasts. Sorry, I didn't really mean to say that. It's the last thing you want on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Anyway, um, so, two funerals over the course of four years. Um, my dad was packed. Absolutely, not a seat in the house. My mum, four years later, I think what we said was a respectable showing. So in the four years that had passed, my mum and dad's influence had already started to wane. Just to give a little bit of background, they are born and bed Christians, pretty much. Uh, church people from generations of church people. They'd been in the church they were in in Motherwell for about 30-something years. Before that, they'd been in another church for about 30-something years, not that far away in Glasgow. So their entire kind of social circle, their church circle, their work circle was local. So when my dad passed away, he'd been, he'd been quite notable in the church. He'd been an elder in his church for a long time. He did the Bible class. He, did, he played the organ, all that kind of stuff. Um, packed funeral. Fabulous day. Lots of really good memories, all very positive. Four years later, my mum, having declined mentally and physically and health-wise and emotionally, I suppose, as well, in the four years since losing my dad. Not so many people there. Um, I mean, quite a lot of people had died in the interim as well. I mean, they were both in their 80s, so at that age, people tend to, you know, you 
there's a bit of natural wastage, as they say in HR. Horrible word. Um, but you kind of that got me to thinking about legacy. And I don't know how, again, maybe it's an age thing, maybe the older you are, the more you think about what people will remember about you. And you've probably, like me, been to funerals of old people, and really at the funeral you learned more about them than you ever did when they were alive. And then you sit there thinking, well, that sucks. Why did I not get to know this fascinating, interesting person that everybody clearly loves? Now, I know you've got to take a pinch of salt at funerals because nobody goes up at a funeral and said, well, see the dearly departed? Didn't like him very much. Bit of a bam pot. But, no. Everybody says nice things to people at their funerals, which is fair enough. But we also find out lots about stuff. In our old church in Warwick, there was a guy at the door whose name was Barry. What was Barry's second name? I've forgotten. Oh, there you are. Young, you've moved. No, darling. It's my wife. Um, Barry Young. Now, Barry was the old man who basically, he put the water out on the lectern for the preacher. And he shook your hand at the door. Now, Barry, I don't know if you all remember, um, oh, what was it called? Remember, there was Camberwick Green, and then there was the other one, Trumpton. And then one of them, I can't remember which one, there was a, a big house, Stately Manor, and there was a tea dance right at the end of every episode. There are a lot of people who are probably under 35 who are now just going, what is the old idiot wittering on about? Camberwick Green, Trumpton. Allow the old people just a moment of nostalgic glow, okay? There was an old man in, in this manor, the, the butler, and he basically went to answer the phone, and it took him about a week to get from one end of the corridor to the other, and you can see a, a, a little bit of dramatic improvisation, if you'll permit me. No, not at all. Um, that's my wife just asking me if I was sticking to the script. <laughs> what script? And he would just kind of walk like this. And now people in Trumpton were very patient because they let the phone ring for about a week. (laughs) Obviously knowing that old Mr. whoever he was, can't remember his name, was eventually going to answer the phone. Now obviously mobile phones hadn't been invented in these days, it was the 70s. Um, And eventually he would answer the phone. Anyway, Barry was a bit like that. For those of you who are slightly younger, remember the, the butler in the first Tomb Raider film who you kept trying to lock in the cupboard? Anyone ever get the burglar locked in the cupboard? Yay, me too, excellent. bit like that, okay? Just trotted around. Anyway, Barry was like that. He was almost anonymous, apart from the fact that his name was Barry, obviously. Um, This doesn't make him very anonymous. You know what I mean? People didn't tend to see him. Barry died. Uh, And then when we had Barry's funeral, we discovered that Barry played the bugle. He was a classics teacher at the local private school. He could read the Bible in Greek and Hebrew and Latin, like he was reading it himself. Right? He looked, if you shook his hand on the Sunday morning, that he would snap if you touched him too hard. He was old, he was risen. All of a sudden, Barry became this, wow, why did I never really take the trouble to know Barry? I just wrote Barry off as old Barry, wizened, old, arthritic Barry, who served faithfully for about a million years. So, can I just say, again, I will get back to the script eventually. If there are old people you know in your circle of friends, there are old people in this church, I consider myself one of them, get to know them before they die. Okay? I love the idea of a living wake. Yeah? That was a super idea. Let's celebrate people while they can still appreciate your loveliness. 
rather than having to wait for them to die and then they won't know you've you've thought all these nice things about them. Find out about the people that you you sit next to, that you work with, that are old people in your street. Don't write people off as just old or even as just young. They're a young person. I don't understand young people. They're all people. They've all got interests and passions and stuff that's very interesting. Some of them will play the bugle, possibly. Right, anyway, sorry, where was I? Right, so last year we went to Northern Ireland. We went to the Cosby Coast um, uh, Vineyard for their uh, annual Encounter More conference and we had a few days staying um, at the seaside. And it's beautiful over there. I don't know why it's taken me till I'm 50-something before I ever went there. It's the most, one of the most beautiful places. Some of it even rivals parts of Scotland. And that's saying something. Anyway, so we were walking along the front at Port Stewart, which is a lovely little kind of seaside, a very traditional British seaside town. It's got ice cream shops, coffee shops, nice hotels. It's got a harbour, it's got a little beachy bit, it's got all the kind of stuff you'd expect at the seaside, including, of course, commemorative benches. You walk along the front and you walk along past a whole lot of benches in the memory of dead people. Okay, so you walk along and it says, to uh, the memory of mum and dad who came here on their holidays for 15 years and then we got them a chair. You know, you think that's nice. And you walk along and you keep going and then you find there's one that's facing the other way. All the chairs face the sea. So you walk along the road and they're all facing outwards so that people could sit down. Because that's probably what the people who they, they commemorate probably did. You know, Port Stewart's not exactly a racy place. So they probably came along and they just sat down and looked, which is fine. Great thing to do for fortnight in summer. But there's one seat that is facing across the road. You think, what's the point of that? There's this beautiful view. And then you realise what it's looking at is a, a coffee shop or an ice cream parlour in Port Stewart called Morelli's. If you've ever been to Morelli's, it's not nearly as good as Susie's dad's shop, obviously. Susie Anderson, who erstwhile of this parish, who's now gone back over there. Um, her mum and dad have an even better coffee shop. But there's one called Morelli's, proper Italian ice cream shop. Um, I think they came over probably uh, between the wars. And the chair that looks at that is in memory of, guess what, a Mr. Morelli. Super bit of marketing. I'm telling you, I'm pretty sure there are people who have walked along the front going... Dead person, dead person, dead person. Oh, why is this the wrong way around? Morelli's. Ah, ice cream. (laughs) So there you go. Works a treat. So, in my experience then, it takes about a year to wrap up a life. Once you've done all the kind of probate, the legal stuff, the funeral, the clearing the house, the selling the house and all the rest of it, there's nobody left, you know, in in terms of a partnership or a a husband or a wife or whatever. It takes about a year. We are just getting to the final stages of um, concluding my mother's estate. After that, then what? You're left with a few mementos, maybe some money, a lot of memories, which will fade and they'll lose their significance to future generations. I can go into my mum and dad's church now. They serve faithfully for 35, 40 years. There'll be people there now who don't know who they are. That's sad. I'm not sure it's particularly heartbreaking for mum and dad. They're in a far better place. But for me, that kind of hurts. Because they spent so long giving so much, doing so much, you know, sacrificing a lot, loving people, caring for people, and all of a sudden, you've forgotten. So much of what we do, so much of what drives us to work hard or to learn more, to accumulate stuff, even just to have children and breed and propagate our species, is all about legacy. We want to leave a mark for future generations. 
We want to be remembered. We don't want to be forgotten. I think that's the key thing. We don't want to think that no one will remember us when we've gone. So we're going to take a look at a couple of notable deaths in the book of Acts. We are getting back to Acts, I promise. Um, there's a couple of them. This is probably not kind of verses you'll hear an awful lot talked about in, in, in church, but they're relevant to today. Uh, in Acts chapter 6, 7 and 8, or chapter 6 and 7 rather, we hear about a chap called Stephen. Now this is the very, very early days of the church. Jesus has died, he'd rose again, he'd ascended up into heaven, the Holy Spirit had come down at Pentecost, and basically the church started. And it was doing really, really well. It was doing so well that it was really starting to knock people off. The established religious leaders of the day were not happy about this. They kind of thought they'd put this Jesus thing to bed when they'd killed Jesus, and they thought that was it, all done and dusted, no longer a problem. Turns out that was just the beginning of their problems. And the church was going from strength to strength. Anyway, they started to get a wee bit angsty about this and start to persecute stuff. And then, read it yourself, chapter 6, chapter 7 of Acts, all about Stephen. We'll pop into uh, chapter 7. It might appear on the wall before me. Um, Chapter 6, rather, verses 8 and 15. There you go. Here's a couple of snapshots of Stephen's life. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Later on, this is uh, it's his court appearance. At this point, everyone in the High Council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. I, can't, I, just, I cannot think what that must have looked like, but it must have been pretty awesome, and not to mention quite scary. And then, if we can have the next verse, please, Bill. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him... Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Amazing, tragic stuff. The life of Stephen is not recorded in any great length, but what is recorded is quite amazing. If you want a fabulous potted history of pretty much the whole Bible, read Acts chapter 7. There's a speech there that Stephen gave, which basically summarizes most of the Old Testament quite neatly for you. But read the real thing as well. And I've heard lots of people in in sermons talking about Stephen, but I've probably heard even more talking about verse 58. Okay, For all the sermons I've heard about Stephen, I've heard probably more about that one verse. Very dramatic. If you're making a movie of this, there would be a kind of quiet pause as you saw a pile of coats at the feet of Saul. Because obviously this is important for what happens later on. So Saul... Saul was later on going to be rebranded as Paul after he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Um, and it kind of it bothers me a little bit, this thing, because Stephen was amazing. He was full of the Spirit. He did miracles and wonders. He did incredible things. He basically told the Jewish high council all about their faith, their religion, how they should have done it right, what they should have seen and noticed and responded to when Jesus came. And he died for his faith with forgiveness in his heart and on his lips. And how do we remember him? We remember the guy who held the coats when he was stoned to death. And it's kind of, you must think Stephen would feel slightly annoyed about this, about his legacy. What's your legacy, Stephen? Oh, well, yeah, everybody remembers that the people who stoned me, this guy called Paul, had a big pile of coats at his feet. And I've heard lots of sermons about that because Paul becomes an important player. Paul writes 
most of the New Testament. He helps the new, the new established church get its theology straight, get its history right, and goes on missionary journeys right across the known world, and the church spreads and spreads you know, amazingly under uh, Paul. But here we have it. Stephen's legacy is that he was stoned by somebody and they were more interested in the guy who held the coats at his execution. So legacies have an annoying habit of changing because they can be rewritten by other people. That's the problem with death. You kind of lose control once you're dead. Next bit. Um, Acts chapter 5. Now this is, this is, again, this is not a, a bit of the Bible you'll hear mentioned uh, very often because it's a bit awkward, it's a bit difficult. It's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Sapphira? 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 Okay, well... Sapphira, I, I will take it on advisement. Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira. Now, there's a lot of Ananiases in the Bible. This particular one was married to Sapphira. And they were good people. They were in a church. They talked to one another about the important financial decisions. That's good practice for a marriage. When you're going to make big financial decisions, like what to give away, talk to one another. They did all this. They were obviously quite well known in the church as well. And they had promised to give a whole lot of money, or to sell stuff, and then give the proceeds to the church. Only... They decided to basically, on the fly, keep some of it back. And then they died, quite publicly, whilst being confronted about this one after another. If you read it, it's a very awkward, difficult bit of the Bible that makes you feel kind of, I wish that bit wasn't there, really. But it is. We won't go into all the theology of all of that, but really what I'm just trying to tell you is that their legacy... You know, they were probably well-regarded people. They were obviously quite well off. They had property, they had possessions, they had money. Everybody probably thought they were quite nice folks, upstanding in the community. They were going to do the right thing, all of these kind of things. Their legacy is basically to guilt-trip Christians for the next 2,000 years about their giving. Because every time you're just thinking, is that enough? You think, Ananias and Sapphira, put in some more, just in case. That's what I think. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. I don't, you know, you know, if you say, right, okay, I'm going to get a big windfall, I'll give X amount to the church, and then you think, actually, I can't afford to give X amount to the church, I'll have to give X less something, am I going to die? <laughs> you know? It, it probably is just me. So anyway, Ananias and Sapphira. Again, another legacy. Probably unfairly gained because they just made one kind of fairly fatal mistake near the end of their lives. Up until that point, it might have been wonderful. So... You might then think, as it's not in our control, it's down to other people. What's the point? Why worry about your legacy at all? You know, Fon, you're right. You shouldn't. Don't worry about what people will think of you when you're not here to see them thinking about you. Doesn't make any sense. It's pointless. Just enjoy what you're doing now, really. Chill about it. Don't worry about your legacy. Don't worry about how people remember you. The idea of legacy displays a singular lack of vision and imagination because it limits life to those who are dying and forgets about eternity. You have a Father in Heaven who has prepared... I don't know what it was when I was writing this. I have alliterated a lot today, just telling you. You may have spotted a few already. I'm going to alliterate even more. God has went ahead of you into heaven and has prepared palaces, parks, and promenades. You see what I'm doing there? Yeah. See promenades? See, that's going right back to the story at the beginning about the benches. I don't, I, it's hours I spend on these. <laughs> My wife's heckling me again. That wasn't at the beginning. No, probably. It was supposed to be at the beginning, but then there was a whole lot of other stuff at the beginning, but never mind. Um... Dum, 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 dum. Pa- prepared palaces, parks, and promenades for you in his presence forever. 
Why are you worrying about a rusty plaque on a bench covered in seagull poo? <laughs> That's all your legacy is going to amount to, at best, a gravestone. You might, if you're very lucky, get a street named after you. And then about 20 years later, people go down, Why is this called whatever road? Oh, some dead councillor probably. He was probably on the fiddle. Your legacy has got far more to do with what's to come than what's gone. Just say yes to Jesus and all of a sudden your legacy becomes something you move into, not something you leave behind. Will I say that one again? I can't quite remember what I said because I just made it up there and then. Um, Say yes to Jesus and then your legacy will become something you move into rather than something you leave behind. Amen. Somebody, I hope this has been recorded because I forget that. I mean, she's just sit down now. She's been uh, what you don't know is she's been saying that for the last twenty minutes. Um, so, does that mean then it doesn't matter how you live? Of course not. Right? We do not want to get into a religion that's all about dying. Being a follower of Jesus is not about just what happens when you're dead. It is very, very, very much concerned about what happens when you're alive. Really, very importantly, the kingdom of heaven is now. It's not for when you're dead. Well, it is, but you know what I mean. It is now as well. Because what we do is remembered by our Father in heaven. God remembers everything you did. He knows all the hairs on your head. Okay, I'm just giving them an easy afternoon. <laughs> <clears throat> But he remembers all that. He remembers all the sparrows that die. He remembers all that. How he's going to remember you. Some of you will be very easy to remember. Some of us, whatever. But I remember seeing something on the internet the other day. There's a, a, a lady online called Stevie Swift who just writes very clever things. And she wrote this thing. She said, and this again, this, you know, his heart's back to the, I'll never win Wimbledon, I'll never play for Scotland. All my ships have passed. I'm not going to be great. She said, you may not have been made for a grand purpose. But you have been made on purpose by somebody who is grand. Now, I won't claim that one. That's really good. If you are sitting here thinking, I was thinking about this this morning. If, like me, you're kind of thinking, what have I done with my life? What have I achieved? Who's going to remember me? You know, where's my park bench, my gravestone, or my street name, or my award in my honour, or whatever, a lifetime achievement in mediocrity, whatever it is. You know, if that's you, and I think, to be honest with you, I think a lot of us feel like that, that we're somehow or other letting things slip and nothing's happened. Bear in mind that your Father in Heaven knows you intimately and is pleased. He loves you, as we were singing there today. He couldn't love you anymore. It doesn't matter what you do, really. He cannot love you anymore. You cannot impress God by leaving behind a better legacy or more money or more achievements or more published novels or scientific papers or paintings or pieces of music or poems or houses or whatever. He cannot be impressed by that because he loves you so much as it is anyway. Just as if you completely screw it up and you miss all your opportunities and you do absolutely everything wrong and it all goes completely whatever, he still won't love you any less. And the palace in heaven is still as grand, still as beautiful, still as uh, accommodating. And his hug when you get there is still just as warm. Don't stress what you leave behind. It doesn't matter. 
So your legacy, like your treasure, will rust and decay. It will get eaten by moths and end up as landfill. So like your treasure, let it go. Don't stress it. Of course, leave behind you a trail of generosity, of compassion, of love, passion, creativity, hope and good news in the hearts of the people you know and the people who know you. If you really are worried about leaving anything behind, make other people's lives better because of yours. That's the best thing that anyone can do. And yeah, you're going to be forgotten. You know? I bet you could probably go downstairs and ask the young people, who is Paul McCartney? And they go, who? Who is Elvis Presley? Who? Never heard of him. Right? Everybody, even the greatest of us, will be forgotten. That doesn't matter. Because God knows who you all are. God loves you. And if you say yes to him, what do we say? You will move into your legacy. You won't leave it behind. And it's ongoing forever. You will not be forgiven. By, uh, forgotten, rather. <laughs> that was my big finish. <clears throat> Sorry. I'll say that again. You will not be forgotten. Not ever. I was talking to somebody before we started. I, I, I love the, the, the godness of God I find utterly overwhelming. Right, just from a kind of logical, scientific reason. I cannot figure out how God can be everything, everywhere, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-doing, all-powerful, all of these things, all at the same time, and yet still care about my hair and sparrows and all the rest. I just find this, it's just too much. And the fact that God knows about everything. And I think that my reconciliation of all of that is that God lives in a permanent now. And now where absolutely everything that's ever happened, ever can happen, ever will happen, is all happening at exactly the same time because God's not part of time. He's outside of it. It's all just now. So God is only interested in now. There isn't a past. There isn't a future. It's all just now. So don't stress it. It's all now. And if you live now and do the right thing now, if you follow God now, then that's as close to being what God wants you to be as you can possibly get. Anyway, I'm wittering on. I'll stop. I think, as an opportunity, I think Andy was talking about that verse, you have to repent, we have to confess our sins, and then our prayers become powerful, and we can start to move on and do stuff. I think that's really important. And I think there's a lot of us this morning probably need to repent of worrying too much about our legacy, about feeling guilty that we've not done that big thing, God gives us dreams when we're little. Mine's was to play for Scotland at football, win Wimbledon. Me, I was a, maybe go to the moon. That was, uh, and, and be an, a famous artist. Right? I have not achieved any of these things. And it really doesn't bother me at all. To be honest with you, it's quite nice. Because most of these famous people are really screwed up. So, save myself there. But I think as well our dreams can come back to haunt us and taunt us and the things that we don't achieve, the things we thought we would achieve, the things we set out to do but we weren't able to do become, they kind of bounce back and they act like somebody kind of going, (laughs) you didn't do that, did you? And I think it's really, really important this morning that we all hear God's voice saying, that doesn't matter. The things you didn't do because you just didn't do them, it doesn't matter. I love you anyway. I think we need to hear that this morning. If you'd like to, shall we stand up and pray? If you don't, that's fine.
If there are dreams in your heart that you feel have gone, that the time, the moment, the energy, the facility, the, the money, whatever it is, have just eluded you and it's now in the past, you've got two choices. You can beat yourself up about it for the next 30 years or you can let it go. And who knows, the very act of letting go might start it again and it might happen. Because it's not your dreams, it's not your plans. They've been planted in your heart by the Father. The good ones will come to fruition. The other stuff, you just forget about and move on to the next big thing. So, if that's you, if you have unrequited dreams that have just kind of fizzled out, put your hand in your heart and we'll pray. Father God, we thank you that you are the dream master, that you plant them in our hearts, that you give us ambition, you give us... Um, the drive to achieve things. You give us hearts to do good things, big things, amazing things for you. And Father, yet sometimes it's crushing that we don't do them and we feel that we've let you down because we haven't yet achieved that huge thing we thought we would do for you. And the older we get and the longer that doesn't happen, the worse it gets. So for all us old farts who are sitting here today thinking it's too late, Lord, remind us it is never too late with you. We are not just an old person. We are a child of the living God. If we have said yes to you, Father, if we have invited you into our lives, we have got so much potential, it's scary. And Lord, the dreams of our youth may not come to fruition. Help us to let them go. But help us never to stop imagining what we can do for you. Not so that we can leave a plaque on a bench somewhere to say how great we were, but so that we can change the lives of the people that love us, the people who don't even know us, but the people that we care about, and their lives will be better, and they will turn to you because of that. And Father, when it is all over, when our legacy has been done, and we are thinking, right, okay, Lord, help us to look forward to what you've got ahead of us as well for the promise of the palaces, the parks, the promenades, the intimacy and the closeness of a relationship with you in paradise, in heaven, whatever we want to call it, Father. That's the thing we look forward to as well. But Lord, help us not just to wait until we're dead to live like that with you. Help us to start living like that now as if we walk hand in hand with you through your palaces and promenades now. Why should we be putting off all that? So, Father, forgive us for limiting ourselves and limiting your scope to do amazing things through us, Father, and forgive us for the guilt we feel about that. But, Lord, set us free from hanging on to it. Let us just let it go, give it to you, and enjoy you and live for you. And let your spirit, Father, dictate all that we do, Father. Help us just to explore our lives and find all the wonderful stuff you've left in advance for us to do. Father, we ask you to bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.